0: This week on Nevertheless, She Persisted. Your mind goes to the negative. You focus on what's bad and what is so much bigger and overwhelming. And there still are the good things. It it
1: involves taking a risk. Um, And I'm going to do what I can to shift into this mindset of inviting gratitude and moving away from scarcity into abundance and just see what happens.
0: And when you take an appreciation for that little beautiful thing, you can really see how much it has to offer The practice of gratitude is different from simply feeling grateful. The skill is to practice gratitude with intention. That is to take some time during each day and challenge your mind to attend to and bring up feelings of gratitude. The act of expressing gratitude has benefits. People who express gratitude are not only found to be happier, but also more hopeful, have more energy and experience positive emotions more frequently and are more forgiving and empathetic. Gratitude has also been found to make coping with stress and trauma easier. Today's guest is Jill Nowak. Jill Nowak is a clinical social worker and therapist at Three East McLean Hospital, the number one psychiatric hospital in the country. She employs cognitive behavioral, dialectical, and mindfulness-based therapy in her work. She's extensively trained in the delivery of evidence-based treatment approaches with an emphasis on adherent dialectical behavioral therapy. Jill was the first person I talked to from Three East and the person I did my last therapy session with when I ended my journey there. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today and coming to sit down and chat with me about gratitude. Thanks for
1: having me, Sadie.
0: I wanted to kind of start this episode by going back to the way that my journey started at 3East, which was on the phone with you. And so I'd gotten picked up early by my mom from school and we were literally in the car and we'd gotten lunch and she, she told me, she was like, you're going to talk to this person from 3East. And I'd literally just learned a few days before that I was going to be picking up my whole life and moving across the country freshman year and that I wasn't going to be doing the rest of normal high school that year from home and that all these things that were happening around me and school assignments they just wouldn't be there a week from now. I just wouldn't be at home. And so I got on the phone with you and I was asking you all these questions and there was just so many things I didn't understand. What was a residential gonna be like? What was it gonna look like? So I kind of wanted to ask you at first, what were your first impressions and did you think I would change as much as I did? And how did you kind of see me change during my time at 3E?
1: Awesome. You know, it's funny, Sadie, I remember that phone call and I remember we were pretty far into it at a certain point before I figured out that you were in your mom's car and I, I've talked to people in all kinds of situations some I'm sure I don't even know about but I just remember thinking like, wow she is she's in a tough situation right now and I, I didn't have any sense of whether or not you knew the conversation was coming, which I think happens more than I more than I know. I think one of the best things about this work in general and I think, Something that 3East does really well is that we we get really excited and inspired when we're proven wrong, you know, and, and the story continues. And so I think we try to be careful not to tell the story before it's happened and to give a person the opportunity to pave their way and, and show us uh, how they want to integrate DBT or the relationships that you might form there or anything into your experience. And like anything in life, you take what works for you. And, and you might set the the rest aside. You know, I remember feeling that you were in a lot of pain. I remember knowing that with a lot of certainty. And I, I think if I look back, that might be the one thing that I felt really certain about was that you were in a lot of pain. The other thing might be that it sounded like when, you know, what I had learned about you thus far, right? From talking to your parents and maybe a provider, uh, was that you had a lot of doubt about uh, treatment in general, maybe being effective or helpful. So I just remember being really compelled by you. I think... I will always remember your admission interview.
0: That was an interesting day. Again, I had so much doubt. And I was in there and you guys were like, why are you here? And I was like, well, I have to be. Um, It's the only option. My parents said I have to be here. My therapist says I have to be here. So I'm just here. And the other thing that stuck out from that was you guys were like, do you want your parents here? And I was like, well, no, they can leave. And they just had flown across the country for me in the hope of getting me treatment and getting me help. And I just kicked him out. I remember also
1: thinking, gosh, you know, if we hadn't had the opportunity to see how you would respond to some of those questions, we might have really risked just letting you go through the motions because I think you had been pretty good at doing that.
0: Yeah. So that's something I realize now, like that that's why those two, three years of therapy weren't working because I... It was just part of it was I was putting fire af- out after fire of crisis after crisis and all these emotions. And then when I was doing DBT education and doing, like, learning these skills and trying to understand how to cope, I was just going through the motions because I had to be there and I was told that it was going to be helpful. And I didn't believe it would be helpful. I didn't choose to do it for me. And I was just, again, going through the motions. And I think we
1: probably might've seen you do that for, for some portion of, of your time with us. And I just think it makes... A ton of sense given what your path had been up until you arrived. So gosh, yeah, I, I I am blown away by what you've been able to do in in the story that's followed. And I think, you know, I, it was funny, I, I thumbed through the episodes and I was, you know, trying to pick out, you know, which ones are going to give me a really good sense of, of what Sadie's been up to. So I listened to the one with you talking with your therapist at Therapeutic Boarding School. And I listened to the one you where you spoke with your dad. And and I think that the most compelling thing there was your voice. And it's compelling to me now. Like it, it's just I, I think you have found it. And I'm not saying you found it at three East, but I'm so hoping that we helped you discern how much power you have in your ability to articulate and then share with others.
0: Big time. Yeah. I mean without those 14 weeks, I don't see how my treatment would have gone in a successful way without that pivotal moment of choosing to work on myself. I think I would have gone through the motions for that year and a half and I remember like when I left the intensive side. Yeah. My little thing that I'd learned at three E's was that people don't understand what's going on for me unless I tell them and that was something that I hadn't put together before. Like I just hadn't realized that I have to tell people when I'm sad or that I don't feel good yep. about something or my story. And so that was something that I'd never realized before at that point. And I was like, I guess they'll they'll see the signs. I'm I'm telling them something and that, that was so not the case. Like no one was aware of these quote unquote signs I was giving. And so Learning how to speak about it and that I need to tell people and using that voice. I think that's also a big part of the podcast because without having that realization, I'd be sitting here and being like, oh, I had a rough time and expecting people to know what that depression felt like, what that anxiety felt like what my journey of treatment was like. So I agree, it was a huge, huge part of my treatment and my time at 3East. The next question I wanted to ask you is, what inspired you to go into treating adolescents that are struggling with their mental health? Oh
1: gosh, if you ask me this on any given day, the answer might change. I, I, I think that I went through my own adolescence with the kind of turbulence that, that one might expect. And I don't think that I ever really had a sense of who I was. And, you know, obviously we are all, all we're doing is growing and and we're becoming who we are becoming, who we're becoming. And I I think, you know, in some respects, like the the kindest thing that we can always do as we age, as we progress, as life, you know, reveals to you who you are, is to nurture um, the younger parts of yourself that were working with the information they had at the time. And so that's been, I think, a lifelong practice for me well in my in my growing years I would say I've made an effort to go back and examine that and and still try to love her anyways you know and I think it was just what made sense to me but I'll give you a concrete answer to that question as well which is that when I was in college I I volunteered at just like a traditional day camp you know and there was one, I was I was counseling, I was maybe leading like a group of third graders or something that summer. And this little girl came into the group and she had a fiery personality. Oh my God, she gave me a run for my money. And I, I learned that she had just as of two months prior to, you know, the start of that year summer camp, lost her mom. Oh my gosh. And it was sort of like astounding that it was sort of like, okay, well you know dad's dropping her off life's continuing you know here you go and it was you know I I must have been what 19 uh, or or something you know and it was like I registered like whoa you know like what is this little kid's landscape looking like you know because it sure isn't what Tommy or Billy are thinking about life was different for her. And I, I, I remember despite, and I, I feel like I would have friends and family that would tell me after the fact, like, Oh my gosh, you, you would come home and just be exhausted, you know? But I, I think I ended up developing a relationship with her that lasted like through her school years. And, and then like years later, one of the last years that I was working there, she showed up on my birthday with a birthday cake and like, you know it was just like uh, the kind of relationship that makes you pause and observe the nature of human suffering and the grace of um, persistence. So I, I think that if I had to go back, that was a really pivotal moment for me, where I just I observe my own desire to lean in and learn more and and maybe help. But, you know, yeah, so I think that was that was really. Compelling, and, and from there, you know, social work school was what made the most sense for me. I had the opportunity to do that in New York City. And, you know, some of it might have been luck. I ended up in a, an international high school in, in Brooklyn interning my first year. So that was with first generation immigrant students. And it was a high school. So it was, you know, people roughly between the ages of, of uh, you know, 14 and 18, something like that. And, and that was sort of like setting my course and going. Like that was just where um, it made sense to me.
0: Yeah. You you went with the interest. You ran yeah. with it. I, I love that. And um, I definitely do see how it all makes sense. And now you ended up working with like this similar age group. And again, with the girls that were really suffering and not really knowing how to manage that. And yeah, mm-hmm. it, it definitely makes sense. So another reason why I reached out to you was not just because you were such a big part of my treatment and the first person I talked to and the last person I did a therapy session with at 3East, but the gratitude skills that you taught at 3East were so helpful. And when thinking about DBT and therapy in general, gratitude is something that's relatively easy to implement into your life. It can take a little bit out of your day or you can implement it into every interaction you have, but it's easy to practice. It's easy to put your mind to and just decide to implement a little bit of that practice to better yourself. So I was wondering if you could tell listeners a little bit more about the principles of the practice of gratitude and then kind of how you guys implemented that at threes for adolescence. Like, Why would you choose to implement that skill and why is it helpful for these girls who really are struggling?
1: Awesome. Gosh. Um, well, I will say that I, I want to take no credit for two things. And the first one, Sadie, is that I think you have just an, an inherent but also just a notably grown ability to have flexibility in your thinking. And I think the nice thing about gratitude and sort of where it goes with, you know, being so helpful to people that really struggle to, to synthesize, you know, the to find the middle ground between the polarities, you know, that we would speak about is that it demands dialectical thinking. You know, it really asks a person to be willing to define the scope of joy, but even potentially with the, the notion that if it's lost, you're left feeling really vulnerable. So it just, it's it, like so many things there. It has, you know, kind of that, that pendulum, that like ability to help move between states. But I think the other piece was that this the journal that we use still today I didn't create that journal. There was a a clinician at Three East uh, before my time and a clinician who is now our program director Jillian Galen who I think the two of them were the ones that got into cahoots about really bringing this to be and then Jillian and I ran the group together for a time and then she went out on her second maternity leave and it was sort of like well this is my group now. Um, So I just feel so blessed that that happened to me and you know, we were saying before, it's it's such a, a buzzword. Uh, it means so many different things to so many different people. So, you know, for me, my practice is just about a small commitment to engage with myself. So I never know if if I sort of set my course and want to reach within myself, if, I, if I'm looking for a reason to um experience gratitude, or if it just, you know, comes on in a really organic way, it's kind of like, um, choosing that initiation of like, I'm going to do what I can to shift into this mindset of inviting gratitude and moving away from scarcity into abundance and just see what happens. So for me, it could be turning the car on, like just putting the key in and you don't really know where you're going to go. Like some days aren't pretty. You might just make it down the driveway and other days, you know, make it somewhere really beautiful or, or new. Even. And so for me, I try to not see it coming. I try to let it happen. But that initial sort of self-guided initiation of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to set the stage and, and see if something comes onto it. You know, so it could be for some people, it, it could be really far more useful to define gratitude in an interpersonal way. So a lot of people might think of relationships that they're grateful for or things that they feel about themselves when they're, you know, examining themselves in the scope of a relationship with another person. It could be experiences. It could be You know, I, I really try to tune into it when I make my coffee in the morning, you know, and that sounds pretty simplistic, but it's a way to really hone your mindfulness skills. Also, it asks you to be present in a way that like, if you're feeling a certain way or many different kinds of ways, and it's painful to just be asking you to just be more is hard. Painful. And so I think that's, I, I would say, one of the things that it seems like comes up really consistently is, you know, an avoidance to wanting to be in the here and now for so many good reasons. People that come to 3East have all kinds of very good reasons why why they don't want to be there. And the other thing is like that little trap door opens That's sort of like if I acknowledge that this is something that I treasure, where am I going to be if and when it gets taken away from me? And then the sort of ability to lapse into a lot of self-criticism and um, self-invalidation around gratitude in particular
0: it's hard to live in the moment. For me, it was the thing I did not want to do because really thinking about what I was feeling and what I was thinking and how much I'd hurt everyone Mm. around me, it felt like that was hard to accept Mm. and sit in and just realize. And so the thought of that was really painful, but without having appreciated, especially in an interpersonal way with my parents, how much they dedicated to helping me find that happiness Mm. and get to a better spot and kind of again gratitude and appreciation for myself and choosing to do the work and wanting to do that and really engaging in that there's just so many moments where without practicing that gratitude i think it would have been hard to both relationally see an improvement and in myself like without having the appreciation for where i'd come from and how much i'd grown i don't know if i'd ever get to a point where like, something's different yes. you know what and I mean? and that goes back to what you
1: were saying before the about like being encouraged to grab onto it or practice it from the vantage point of those really low, dark places. And I think the thing that we, it it seems like we can all agree on in lots of different respects is that when a person is In a place of darkness, the landscape there becomes familiar, you know, and it becomes harder and harder and harder to to breach that. And gratitude is so it's such a life affirming word and principle and uh, practice. I think for many, you can lapse really quickly into feeling invalidated if you're in this place where you're being asked to do something that is so life affirming. It it can be that's a tough one,
0: (laughs) you know. Yeah. Time. When I was at such a low place, like every single part of life, like I hated. Internally, it made me uncomfortable. Even something like a loving relationship with my parents. I was so guilty for pushing them away and hurting them with how I had responded to feeling depressed and anxious. That it was the thought of feeling that love would be that I'd have to accept, that I'd hurt them. And so every single thing, even things that should be positive, were negative. And so the idea of, again, of doing something that's so life-affirming, and being appreciative for mm-hmm. life, which for me meant that pain and that suffering. And it was like, but why? Why would I want to? Yeah. I'm struggling so much. Why would I want to be thankful for that? And you're taken out of that safety blanket of that depression, yes. which everyone's like, why would you want to stay depressed? Like, I feel like that is the question of people who haven't understood like depression really and anxiety. Why wouldn't you want to change? Why wouldn't you choose to work on yourself? And if all you've ever known what is this you know, depression, yeah. and yes, it's really painful. Yes, it's really difficult and tough. But you also know it. If you were to get better, there's the potential that it could get worse. Mm-hmm. And so when you're sitting in that lowest of lows, but for you, it's just the reality. It's the normal. It's, it's the everyday. Yeah. And so maybe it's low compared to other people, but for you that's just average, that's just normal. And getting better could mean getting worse than that. And at least you know how to deal with it. Maybe cope with it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you know how to cope with it, but it's unhealthy. But at least you know how to deal with it. I know it was the weirdest thing to like enjoy my relationships and like interact effectively with my parents. Like sometimes I didn't know how to cope with that. It was like, what am I what am I supposed to do? And so you have to completely step out of that comfort and safety blanket that you know and it's almost just as scary as when you start going down that path and you start to feel depressed and you don't know what's going on. It's the same thing when you're Mm. coming out of it because it literally is a new environment and a new world that's just so unfamiliar. No, I I think
1: um, joy is so unfamiliar for people who have been looking Mm -hmm. at life through the lens of a person that is really stuck in that place. And and sometimes it's hard to know when you're Mm -hmm. stuck versus when you're unwilling to leave. But like you said, it's, it involves yeah. taking a risk uh, and there's just, there's so much to lose.
0: I like what you said about things to lose because there were so many effective parts of ways that I was coping. Like every single time I would struggle with self-harm, that was how I would feel love from my parents. Yeah. They would come back and express their concern and my family would freak out and notice that I was in mm-hmm. pain. And so it was like, if I take a step away from that, I'm losing that care and love, which is the only way I'm getting yeah. out right now. And if my arguments with my parents and that emotional instability, like they cared. They were showing some reaction and emotion and they were seeing me and maybe we were both miserable and upset and it hurt, but there was something there other than me just by myself and being alone. So I would lose that. I would lose Mm -hmm. that connection, even if it was really tough. From an outside perspective, it doesn't logically make sense. Why would you want to keep these arguments and these things that are really hurting your relationships and that you're, you're miserable and but you don't know mm-hmm. anything else. You've taught yourself how to feel this love and care and in a really unhealthy way, but at least you know how to do it. Like this is where you're comfortable. This is what no, you know how to do and you have to completely reteach that to yourself. It's
1: not easy. Um, and I think it's easy for people in the role of providing care to others to forget what it is that we ask people to do. You know, so I I think anything that helps providers, teachers, parents, you know, support systems find a way to remember, gosh, what is it that we're asking this person to do? Like, can we acknowledge that Mm -hmm. inherent in that is uh, real tenacity and grace and effort and pain, you know, from moving out of that place Mm -hmm. into a place where you um, can still look back and see it, but also see other things and, and imagine a life mm-hmm. worth living.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's- are you interested in making your own podcast too? Download Anchor. I released every episode of Nevertheless She Persisted through Anchor and I love it. It's free, you can edit and publish your episodes from anywhere, and they put my podcast on every listing platform like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google. I definitely recommend it. They also have cool background musics, transition musics, and you can record sponsorships like this one. Be sure to check it out. It has everything you need for your podcast. Download the free Anchor app in the App Store or wherever you get your apps or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that's anchor.ff. So the next question I had for you was kind of related to coronavirus and what we're going through right now. It's it's a really tough time. A lot of people aren't at work or even if they are at work, they're doing it from home. People are struggling emotionally. They're struggling economically. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's a lot going on not to appreciate or to feel a lot of hatred and resentment about, how can you practice gratitude during this time, and how does that help? Gosh, I think
1: in in that natural, organic way that that gratitude, you know, can sometimes promote a person's ability to like start kind of thinking about what your values are, like what are the things that you treasure, or like what are you grateful for, what do you find uh, joy in, what do you appreciate, what do you want more of. You know, this is an opportunity, I think, to start to see that with more clarity. And I I do think it's many people have, I would imagine, even in the throes of financial hardship, you know, a deep loneliness or a a grief that life will not most likely Mm -hmm. be the same afterwards. And in many respects for many people, I can imagine that many people also still have the ability to stand back and if they don't, I really hope that something can give them that, even if it's granular. Mm-hmm. That would be my my major hope, I think, for the world right now, is that you have an opportunity to to look at your life, you know? And, and some yeah. people might not like what they see, but they will have been given an opportunity and in a way that nobody could mm-hmm. have seen coming, you know? Like on yeah. scale to yes. the level of interruption and disruption and change and... Like, yeah, just that mm-hmm. this is waged, I think, across the earth and every person on it, every single one of us has been given an opportunity to to just be able to see something. And that seeing might happen 20 years from now, if you're if you're somebody that mm-hmm. may be on the younger side going through this right now. And if you are at a point in your life where like developmentally you're already really like kind of integrating and making sense, making meaning. This might like slide right in for you and be um, yeah. profound, but no, I mean, I think like many of us too, I, I certainly find myself wondering about people who have lost everything that can't see the way forward. Yeah. And it, it does bring with it that tinge of, of guilt, right? Justified, unjustified, mm-hmm. you know? around uh, yeah. feeling like, you know, there are portions of my life right now that are upside down and there are things that are still intact. And I um,
0: mm-hmm. I
1: feel I feel uh, responsible in a lot of ways. I know we don't like to use that word, in, in, especially in practice, yeah. but I yeah. think because it's such a global thing, I, I feel like my willingness to acknowledge and sit with feelings of gratitude about the things in my life that haven't been... Destroyed by this gives me an opportunity to wish those who have had that happen well and um, healing mm-hmm. like something good out of this. But it's it's hard, and the comparisons thing is hard too. It's like survivor's guilt. Um,
0: yes, exactly. And I I really like what you said about grief because like when you think about that concept, it's like an emotion you're feeling in response to a loss. And if you like break it down, that loss is something that you you enjoyed you brought you joy and that you you're missing and which in itself you like felt gratitude towards you were grateful for and so it kind of begs the question like what are you missing right now what do you feel that emotion of grief or loss towards and practice some gratitude towards that be grateful for those school days or those friends or the trip you went on last summer or family reunions whatever it is that you're feeling that grief towards that now you don't have the option to do it's also like a version of you feeling that gratitude for Ooh. that because you you feel like you've lost yes, something that you really enjoyed and yeah. love and and we yeah. talk about that's one of the mm-hmm. things
1: that I think comes up in the group often because people have made huge sacrifices to come to Boston, mm-hmm. um, especially if they mm-hmm. might live on the other side of the country. Yeah, <laughs> <a big> <laughs> And um, they get yeah. things taken away. It's it's not what one relishes. And and I think it, mm-hmm. like what you're saying, the 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 opportunity to observe the absence of the things that we might quote unquote take for granted is something that is exactly. I think so prevalent right now. And that I hope, mm-hmm. um yeah, I, I hope all the auspicious positive things that can come out of this inform a way that we can live with more awareness of those things. that they've been there all along Absolutely. and that if you if you look at them, it can be it can be pretty great.
0: Yeah. And I think something that I've like grown to learn is that the, for me at least the negative emotions and feelings are so much stronger. Like it's so much easier to, easier to notice when you're sad or when you're angry. And so these moments where you're feeling joy or you're feeling love, it's hard to notice that. Like you really have to be aware and living in the moment to be like, this is when I'm feeling that really positive emotion. Yes. I love this thing. I have a lot of joy from this relationship, whatever it is. And so when you're kind of like gifted that feeling of grief or loss and as as horrible as it is to feel as miserable of an experience as it is, you're, you're being given a sign that you're missing something that you yes. want. Like, just like we talk about how emotions are a function to tell you something and they're trying to give you a message. Like, I feel like in a big way right now, like, what is that grief telling you? Like, what is that loss telling you? about an emotion that maybe you hadn't acknowledged or that you hadn't appreciated before this. So really there are powerful. so many things. <laughs> yeah, there's so many things that we've lost or that we are missing and that seem upside down. But what can we do with this big giant message that our like brains and that our emotions yeah, are trying to tell us? Like what have we lost that appreciation totally, for?
1: Totally, totally. And I think there's something else to be said about that too. It's like even out of the context of the global pandemic like we are um, wired uh for negativity bias you know i was i think in metaphors a lot <laughs> and i was thinking about when you emailed me like gosh what would a metaphor be for negativity bias and gratitude or joy and you know when i was a kid um growing up my parents had uh this this driveway that. Our, our family's house we had a driveway that had uh like some kind of very large tree next to it it used to drop these like little balls that have spikes on them that is the only thing <laughs> you can describe yeah. one of those things and if you step on it you know.
0: yeah are they the ones that like stick to the clothing yeah. or the ones that are just like dry? Um, yeah yeah when they dry up they're like really kind of dangerous you know And yeah,
1: uh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I feel like when we have a negative experience, when we perceive judgment, when we perceive doubt or we generate our own versions of those things, you know, what ends Mm -hmm. up, it it has that kind of an effect of, it's like a little spiky, multi-surfaced thing that you can look at that visually is interesting and compelling to the mind. Whereas Mm -hmm. gratitude, um, might be like a stone that's really smooth, you know, or like something that's mm-hmm. just like placid when you're not trying to force mm-hmm. it to be something that's really grand, you know? And yeah. the mind is structurally more interested in, in something that um, gives it a little more to work with. And I think that's another really powerful piece to gratitude is like, it doesn't take much. And if you, if you stand back mm-hmm. and let it be, that's when it, that's no, something usually at least for me at least for yeah
0: me. yeah <laughs> i'm like picturing all these like spike balls from the tree like raining down and then like one little green leaf that's just like coming down and why would your attention but, be like drawn to that little thing like there's no reason for your mind to be more interested in that and yet when you take an appreciation for that little beautiful thing you can really see how much it has to offer but it's overwhelmed by these negative emotions and feelings and it's hard to see in the big picture totally. of things so, the last thing again, that I wanted to touch on was kind of again, how difficult it is to experience gratitude when you're at such a low. And so, when I was at three East, I was definitely coming out of some of the lowest like couple of months of my life. i I didn't feel like I had anything mm-hmm. to be appreciative of. And it seemed like I was again, like being punished or blamed yes. or hurt, and I couldn't tell why. And so, looking back, like, those moments that were so painful that I had like left my home, I'd left my life, I'd left my friends and I did have things to be grateful for, which I don't think I would have seen then. like my parents flew across the country every single week to like work on my mental health and to be with me and to grow themselves as individuals. like that sacrifice in itself I have so much gratitude for and had no appreciation for at the time when but when I think about that now I'm like, would I do that for my kid? like this is crazy yeah. like that was it's such a big real. thing yeah mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I was like surrounded again by all these amazing people that just wanted to help me. They just wanted to help me feel better and feel happy and understand what was going on. And I had like, although I knew that I was trying to get better and I was working on that, like there wasn't that appreciation for like the sacrifice that all of them were making and just how dedicated they were to helping me mm-hmm. get better. And then I had my physical health. Mm-hmm. Like that's something that is so hard to remember when you're struggling mentally. Like your mental health is like really not doing well and you still have this other part of your health that's doing well and that's hard to appreciate because again, you're surre- your mind goes to the negative. Yeah. You focus on what's bad and what is so much bigger and overwhelming and there still are the good things. I those did, are did, did, things. Oh, yeah, those are things that were just could I couldn't see in the moment like it was so hard to understand but when you look back at it I now see those little bits of gratitude fitting together and it's it sometimes can be easier after the fact after that low to appreciate Mm -hmm. that gratitude um, because it's so difficult it can
1: come packaged up in retrospect I think in so many beautiful ways and Mm -hmm. I think what you said just now just so speaks to the level of difficulty and pain and suffering and darkness uh, that is you know a reality for most people who who come our way and even in mm-hmm. the bubble like you were saying of of you felt like you were surrounded by people who were curious and compassionate and really with you in this even mm-hmm. then it was hard so it's it's it so speaks to difficult it can be to reach for the light yeah
0: yeah exactly well we had such a good conversation like there's so many things that i was like yes that's (laughs) exactly it like this is exactly what the experience was and stuff so yeah i'm so glad we got to sit down and talk about three east and gratitude
1: and all of it it's such a joy i um i'm (laughs) so appreciative and i i i continue to be awestruck by, by what you do and how you tell your story. You. And I just want to say that I love the name of your podcast. Like the simple yeah. act of just continuing to put your voice out there. Like that's persistence for you now. So I, I, I feel very honored to uh, have been included and, and thanks for having me.